A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This is a follow-up episode to my interview with Bente Bush from NAV. I interviewed Auden Fashald-Srand and Joran Berenson, who are leading the charge to build the self-serve platform for the application developers at NAV. This is going to allow them to be able to share their data for the data mesh. This is another fun conversation, but I also think it's a must-listen for folks trying but having issues driving buy-in from application developers. I think you'll get a lot of really good information out of this. Odin and Joran have been working together to build NICE, or N-A-I-S, which is NAV's application platform. While Joran was previously someone on the data side of the house, he's learned a lot working on building NICE to continue to focus on building platforms that are easy to use for developers that are native to their workflows. He still feels the pull to make the self-serve platform as data-centric as possible, but he understands that's not likely to drive adoption. If you just add expectations of the data product producers, it won't go well. Also, use Cake. I'll get to that in a minute. While Nav is early days in building out their data platform for Data Mesh, they're taking an interesting approach. Work with the developers to set data product expectations and then see how the developers would go about creating those data products. Then the data platform team will build the platform out to make developer workflows much easier. They're looking at how people would actually want to build this stuff and then where is the friction and then building the platform out to reduce that friction rather than 
telling them this is how you create a data product. It's here's the end, end result that we want. You go ahead and figure out how to do it. They both talked about reducing that friction, including via sensible defaults, as a big part of their path forward. Stop trying to make developers come up with everything themselves. While they're still early on developing those defaults, they're comfortable in their process to get to you know, usable, nice defaults. And working with de developers along the way is very key. This kind of keeps coming up repeatedly as a big through line. There's a big need for blueprints, defaults, et cetera. This 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of what you're trying to do with data mesh can be covered by pretty standard approaches. So make it easy for domains that aren't that complex to share and share their data and move forward. They don't have to design everything from scratch, right? To start, NAV's definition of a data product is a single table or view. It will probably evolve to be more of a data set focus, but they don't see a need to prematurely optimize or overcomplicate. I think this makes a lot of sense because it's super easy to try to go for the biggest, so bang for your buck, so to speak, but it's setting your sights too high too early. Build to that, that complication. You need to build that muscle first. Gioran emphasized the need to have empathy for data producers to build that into the platform. Teams, whatever the strategic direction, can choose where they focus their time. Don't try to force them to spend their time on data. Spend the time to really work with them. As Brian McMillan said, find the opportunistic data folks. Nav tried to put analytics or data engineers into their domain teams, but saw those data engineers sitting next to the team, not as part of their team. So they decided to rethink how they're approaching that. Those data product developers were likely to become overly crucial to serving the data, and thus were likely a single point of failure if that person moved on. So we need to get the application developer teams, the domain teams themselves, to be able to serve that data if we just stick a data engineer in that team to do it, uh, it, it can become a source of pain for later down the road. From a domain standpoint, Nav are starting with the teams that want to share their data first, and they'll pull the laggards in later. But they aren't trying to get everyone bought in up front. They're using a similar approach that has come up repeatedly to drive buy-in. Share with those domain teams why their data is valuable and how what sharing their data could really impact the organization and other people. You know, most people really do want to help others. So if you can get them bought in that way, I think that's helpful. Okay, the most important aspect to this entire conversation is cake. No, really. <laughs> For each team that puts a data product onto the, the data mesh, they're giving them cake, like as in literal shipping them a cake for the team to eat. It might seem silly, but it really does seem to work. It makes it feel like less daunting to put a data product out there, a bit like you were just having fun with some friends. It also means that the team can show off a bit when they get their picture out there with their cake. You know, they post it in the Slack. People are like, oh, wow, okay, this team is forward thinking. They're, they're already onto their first cake from deploying their first data product. And then people can also use that kind of 
cake picture as a jumping off point for learning more about the data product they just shared, that internal data marketing concept. It really is a fun community building hack that I think people should take a look at, at using something similar. This cake thing is Alden's baby. He's the one who came up with this. So all credit goes to him. I think it's a, a really, really great thing. While the data platform is early days, NAV has open sourced most of the NICE platform, so hopefully they will do the same here. You can check out the NICE open source, um, what they've open sourced in the show notes. I think you'll just in general really enjoy this episode. Auden and Joran are just fun and are heading down a good path with their journey. I think you can take a lot of very useful things from it, and I think it's just a, a fun uh, conversation to listen to. So with that, let's go ahead and listen in. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for this episode today. Uh, this is actually our first kind of follow-up from something that somebody had said. Uh, so we've got two people here from uh, NAV after Bente Bush had mentioned some stuff about the platform. So we've got Audun, and, and I do apologize, I'm going to murder their name. So we've got Audun, who's the principal engineer, and we've got uh, Gioran, who's the product manager for the platform. So if you two don't mind, um, if you could go ahead and give us a little bit of an introduction to yourselves and your background, and then we can jump into kind of some questions that we've got around uh, building out the platform and making this something that's uh, usable by application developers instead of, you know, the data engineers creating things for data people and then the application engineers go, what, what is this? I don't, I, I, no, I don't want to do a YAML. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for having us. I'm Edun, and I I normally write a lot. Or used to write a lot of YAML because I have always been an application engineer. I've been working as a developer for I think 15, 16 years, building different kind of applications. Uh, I once I did front end programming and programming, and everybody agreed that I should never do that again. So I'm basically. I've been moving downwards in the stack from then. I've been doing backend programming, and the last eight or nine years, I've been mostly doing application platforms, and mostly Kubernetes, but uh, stuff like that. So I find that my main motivation in developing is creating tools for other developers to create better products. I realized I never really understood what normal people do, but I'm quite good at understanding what developers think. So I can make good tools for developers and then they can solve the hard problem of making good products for normal people because I've never been able to do that. So I've led a few teams creating applications platforms for now where I work now and before that for Finn, the biggest website in Norway. Uh, so I have quite a lot of experience in that and I've also been doing some backend programming for some of our benefits uh, in between all the platform stuff. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is uh, Joran. I'm I'm um, 
Uh, I'm the product manager for our platform. And my background is in uh, data engineering and analytics. Um, so where uh, Odin used to write YAML and code, I used to write uh, SQL a lot. And uh, I spent uh, 10 years uh, doing everything from data warehousing to uh, more high-end uh, or high-level analytics. And now I work, uh, yeah, as the product manager for uh, uh, product manager for our uh, application platform, but also our data platform. Uh, which uh, there are two products that the same team in Nav um, is building. So that that's great. Uh, and what I'm really excited about is something that Bente had mentioned, and and that the the. The four of us had talked about offline a bit was you have these different perspectives and how useful that can be when talking about working with the application developers and and what needs to get done from the data side, right? That you 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 know, Joran, uh, you you understand what there really needs to be to <laughs> present data in a useful format for for consumers. But uh, Odin, you you understand much more about the um, about the workflows of the application developers and things like that. So I think that pairing between is 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 really helpful. Um, why don't we start a little bit with like where you started from building out the platform and kind of maybe a little bit of what you've learned that where you might not have gone down the same path. <laughs> from where, where you've gone and uh, so people can kind of learn from uh, the anti-patterns that you might have hit or the pitfalls. Yeah, I just want to say, I really want to stress the point you, you mentioned with our different backgrounds. I think one of the things I've learned a lot from for the past two years when I've worked with you on is when, when we kind of have a problem and we try to figure, we both tell the other people our default way of trying to solve the problem. And I realized there are very, they used to be very different, uh, and also they were very different. What good quality looked like. Uh, so if there was some data missing, I said, "Well, that doesn't matter because we can always extrapolate from the other end. Who cares about last Tuesday?" Uh, and he said, "Yeah," I said, "Well, this has to be correct. It's this. It's the data." So we have these very different perspectives, and we've been able to kind of align uh, along a lot of uh, paths on that front and been able to understand both perspectives because I think that's one of the main reasons that this data mesh concept uh, resonated so well with me was I've been working when I've when I've been working in large system domain driven design has been my go-to tool for kind of dividing and understanding things for many years and it always made sense to me to try to creating systems architecture where the real world and the systems worlds were kind of where the boundaries were along the same lines. So if you if you could split up the systems in the same way as we split up the organization and uh, and the domain, then everything is easier. And I've kind of looked on the data or the analytics side and seen that's not how they used to do it. Or it seems like there's a different way of thinking. So when I read the first article by Shamak, I really thought, well, this is exactly what I've been. This this says everything I think about uh, architecture, but it's of a completely different problem domain, and that's why I thought this is a really we we need to try to 
go deeper here and figure out how we can do make this work at NAV. So that's when we started working together, I think, when we when we we saw that this was a concept that kind of fitted with what we've done in the application world and hopefully we could have the same kind of thing in the data world. I've talked to a lot of people that, especially people from a microservices aspect that will say similar where they say, uh, you know, I looked at what data was doing and it just seemed like it was insanity. And it was like, kind of, <laughs> but what, what, what the data world was dealing with was exhaust, right? So mm. you're, you're trying to clean the river instead of stop the pollution up at the stream and, and uh, you know, kind of work back to the source. And that if you put that, um, that responsibility onto the, the application developers to stop emitting, you know, pollution and start emitting it as actual products and things like that, that um, it makes everybody's lives far easier. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you I don't know if you've got anything that you want to add to, to, uh, defend the old ways of the data world. <laughs> no, I, I think you, you hit on it. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, strange patterns, uh, in the data world. And, and one of the things that I've kind of also come to see over the past couple of years, working closely with Odin and, and kind of getting a, a education in the, uh, software engineering ways of thinking is, is it's become clearer to me which patterns from the data world really aren't that good. And as you said, uh, Scott, there there are really good reasons for that because because of the the conditions that the data world has been working under. Uh, and so also I think the the original articles by by Shamak have, have been um, kind of a common ground between me and Odin for starting to to hammer out how this should work. Uh, and then, of course, it's been very interesting to kind of try to take some of the, uh, the, the needs from the data world and then apply them in a, in a more software team setting and try to figure out like how would a uh, software engineering team uh, be able to deliver these products in a way that resonates with their way of working. Uh, so, yeah. And, and I think that's one key thing that, that resonated from uh, Bente's conversation and why I wanted to, to speak with, with you two was that you are looking at it from an empathy angle for software engineers just throwing additional responsibilities on them and just saying, hey, just give us this data and we want it in, in the way that we want it, but we're not going to help you get there. We're not going to bridge that gap. Like, it, it's just not going to work, right? Like... Yes, and, and let me just say, I, I came from the data side to this, so so my original thought was exactly that, was like, okay, we, we've we had this exhaust, as you said, that we've dealt with for so long, and now maybe we, in this whole domain-driven design world, maybe we can start adding expectations to the teams of uh, emitting data products that are actually usable. So I came from that side, uh, but then I, I came into this role as... as um, uh, product manager for our application platform. And that was kind of a aside for me where I didn't really work with data for a while and started getting this, as you said, empathy for the software engineers and empathy for the teams and how they're like, they already are straining under this enormous responsibility that they have. And so then when we started working on this uh, uh, data platform, it was natural for both for me, but also for the, the cooperation I had with Odin to start thinking about how can we make it as easy as possible for the 
teams to create these high quality data products. And also can we maybe challenge some of the assumptions that the data world has about what these products have to be? And I think now is a good time to just talk a tiny bit about the application platform, just to show what we've done there and why why we think that's a good starting point for this effort as well. Uh, I, I can't remember if you said the name or not, Scott, but it's called NICE. And that's named, it's named that for a reason. It's an acronym meaning NAV Application Infrastructure Service or System or something. But the main point is it's supposed to be nice to use. It's supposed <laughs> to be an, it's, it's supposed to be a platform that I normally say it should take away the unnecessary creativity from being an application developer. There should be a lot of things you don't have to think about. How to, you should just say, I want this app. I need, I need to deploy it. I need to monitor it. I need to run it. And the platform should solve that for you. And we, we worked a lot on, uh, we worked a lot on talking to the teams and trying to figure out what's the problem you have, or mo- a lot of teams have that's worthwhile to be solved in a platform. So we kind of, and we've been very successful in that. Almost all the teams and almost all the applications at NAV run on this platform. So we kind of, we have a great alignment and a great shared uh, knowledge about how to do this. And it's a good tool. It's a good place to put new efforts in because we kind of, we hit a lot of teams straight away. The, and, the, yeah. the team uh, the team t-shirts in NICE uh, say that it is nice to be a developer at NAV. And, and uh, <laughs> kind of the, the mission for the NICE team is to remove frictions for the te- from the teams, which just to support what Odin says. Yeah, and, and when we... When we saw the data platform or the articles from Shamak, we kind of thought, or at least I thought, one of the things we need for this to succeed is to reduce the distance and reduce the friction between the data people and the application people. And ideally, we should probably have them in the same team. We should, if if we organize our teams around the domains, and the domains include both the application and the data originating from that domain and the ana- analytical and statistics part, that kind of part of that domain, you should have all the knowledge and all the capabilities needed to solve all those problems in those teams. So we kind of had to, we had to solve the problem also on an organizational scale where we kind of, we had to break up, break up the central data warehouse organization and put it more into the teams. And I did, I did want to highlight one point, um, uh, Gioran, I think you were the one that, that made it about the reducing the, the the frictions, but specifically around choice, where there isn't a need for a choice, right? Where there like that you have sensible defaults and sensible blueprints and things like that, so that there's friction around I have to invent this when I don't need to, and right, like oh, okay, I don't need to reinvent this wheel over and over and over, <laughs> like. So th- those kind of sensible reduction of friction is 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 really useful. Yeah. Yes, I think Odin made this point. Uh, uh, that's a very um, a big uh, part of what Nice does as a platform for the teams uh, on the application side, in particular. So on. Uh, everything from like how much uh, memory does your application need to uh, various security settings to a lot of stuff. There's like very sensible defaults put in place so that you can get started with your uh, 
app development and, and running your apps very quickly. And then you can kind of tweak those, those levers later on if you need to. However, on the data platform side, we have we have a much lower degree of maturity so far. So there's much more, we're much more in a exploration phase now uh, around finding what those kind of, kind of sensible defaults should be. So, so it's a much more mature, for sure, our application platform is very mature and our data platform is less so uh, where we are right now. And yeah. also that's not just us, but the, the problem of an application platform is a much more mature problem. Uh, we kind of know the basic tool stack you need and what what the main capabilities for platform should be. But uh, when we started working on the data platform, we had to learn and see more what capabilities should be in the platform, what should we have in the teams, what should be the team's responsibility. One of the early one of the early choices we made, and this is the reason our data platform is called Nada, is that the data platform shouldn't own the data. Uh, so the, so there should be no no data in the da- owned by the data platform the data platform should should provide the tools for the teams that owns the data uh, and this is basically more or less the same as we did on nice with the application platform the application platform aren't responsible for the applications they're responsible for the tools that need is needed to run the applications so when we decided that we still had to figure out what tools do we need and the first uh, one of the first things we started on was uh, catalog services, uh, how to find the data, and some simple analytical uh, tools. Uh, we've gone through quite a lot of different ones. Right now, we're kind of in the we're moving towards the public cloud and Google. So now, BigQuery is a big part of the analytical part of our platform. And then the later parts that came in, and I think was one of at least. For me, it was one of the triggers when I really started to see the potential here was we needed a way to kind of disc- to some uh, a framework for describing a data product. We needed to be quite we needed to say a data product should look like this, and there might be different ways you want it, but in our platform, a data product looks like this because that's the hooks that provides the hooks we need to create the platform capabilities. So then we can. Then we can do access control, and we can do observability, and we can do uh, all the other things we need on the, with the data products because we have a uniform way and a uniform API towards the product. And when we have that, we can build out a lot of the capabilities in the platform, and we can automatically put the data in the catalog, for instance, because we know exactly what the data product look, looks like. And, and if you can share, like, what is your definition of a data product? I talk to some people and they say, it's a table or a view. I talk to, to a lot of people and they say, oh, it's got to be, you know, for most uh, things, it should be multiple tables or multiple things like that, where it's it's things that are organized, you know, and the interoperability aspect and, and all of that. So um, a lot of what you said resonates, but every time I talk to somebody each <laughs> organization has a different definition of what a data product is we, uh, our current definition and i think again i should be clear that uh, we are uh, we are on the early parts of the journey here mm-hmm. uh, but our current definition is it's a table or a view uh, in google bigquery specifically and then there's a little bit of metadata uh, in addition to that table or view in a That's Postgres it. database, yeah, the meta, metadata it. lives in a yeah metadata lives in a Postgres database, um, and then we have a uh, 
front-end kind of portal uh, built uh, to list out all the data products that are published with the metadata and access controls. So that is currently where we are at. And we are fairly confident that the definition will um, expand at some point, that we will allow other ports or formats uh, to be published. uh, And probably there will be some more rules governing this platform, but we don't want to prematurely optimize. We don't want to decide on rules before we absolutely know which rules we need. So for interoperability, for instance, we haven't decided yet on any interoperability rules, but we suspect there will be some. And also, when we have this as a... it makes us makes us, makes it possible for us to make some platform capabilities. So we have, as I said, we have access control. That when you go into this uh, portal, the uh, data platform portal, you can see all the data products because we've added them there, and you can say, "I need access to those," and then the producers of the data products can, according to different rules, uh, create the rules governing access. So we can say everybody's access. Some people have access. Only this team have access. And we can start to put observability, how many data products are used, by whom. And then we can start to, at some point, maybe try to figure out how to be more interoperable between the data products. And we can create tools for a lot of our data red sites in Kafka, in the operational space. So we can, we've started to look into how to make tools that automatically takes data from a Kafka topic and puts it into BigQuery, for instance. And that's the platform capabilities we can make when we have the have a common definition of the data product. Right. Well, and I think a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense as well of if you can get your data consumers, um, and, and this was one of the points that we were we were hoping to talk about was working with the consumers to set expectations for, for data products, but talk to the consumers about, hey, this is our first iteration. I get that you are used to a data warehouse where it sh- it never evolves, right? <laughs> like mm. what what you've been doing is the same report, even if whatever's been happening in the organization in the real world has completely <laughs> shifted away from that report. What you've <laughs> been doing doesn't change. And so you're used to this kind of golden query instead of a, a golden understanding of what's mm. happening out there in the real world. So, you know, I, I talked about this with um, in the U.S., if you were to look at uh, a business like Home Depot, they, you know, they sell like building, uh, like kind of home improvement, building materials and goods and tools and things like that. And so, you know, if you looked at um, in-store visits in January of 2020 versus April of 2020, their in-store visits tanked, but Mm. their business picked up significantly because they were able to uh, evolve and and do like curbside pickup and things like that. And so they were able to figure out how to adapt to that. But if you were still just doing the same report in the data warehouse, that thing just wouldn't, it would have showed you that, you know, your business is, is going to tank. And so helping consumers in this new world to understand that, okay, this is the V1 of the data product. Once we're really working towards that interoperability, what you're doing 
it may have to change how you're consuming from this. We'll work with you to make sure that that's a smooth change and it's not a sudden change where, oh, this thing just went from V1 to V2 and you're automatically on V2, right? <laughs> Versus you're on V1, here's the communication, we're moving, you, you need to move to V2 within the next 30 days. Let's work together to, to get your queries over to this new V2. And we've provided a, a path to that migration. Like that sense just hasn't been there in the data world. I mean, uh, you're on, you, you, you're, I'm sure you're, you've been smiling a lot when I've been saying that of, of like the empathy angle for the consumers and the data people. Yeah, as I, as we talked about now, we, um, of course, we, we've been focusing a lot on the empathy angle for the producers here, uh, which is clearly important because they, uh, without any producers of data, there won't be any uh, use for a data platform. So it's very been very important for us. But we are also... Um, keeping an eye on what's happening on the consumer side. And we do have uh, a lot of different types of consumers, of course. Uh, and I think that the, the kind of consumers that we we have had um, the most construct, constructive dialogues with so far are the, the kind of, I would say, uh, opportunistic uh, kind of uh, analytical people, uh, if you understand what I mean, like the the people who are who have uh, uh, who are, are always hungry for new sources of data uh, and uh, sufficiently self sufficed that they can uh, whatever form that data comes in, they can use that data to to answer questions. Uh, so so people who just um, want data and then a Jupyter notebook, and then they can go figure stuff out. So uh, those kinds of consumers, uh, we have those, and those are uh, very happy just getting access to a V1, and I think also um, fine with this V1 eventually evolving to a V2 uh, or uh, whatever. But then I think there are... um, more traditional business users of data, as you said, who are kind of more used to expecting this non-evolving data warehouse where everything kind of just stays the same and adds new data to old time series. Um, and there, I think we have a, a, a way to go still uh, on, on adaption on the platform as well. That's exactly the same as with the application platform. Uh, first, I just said Docker, and then a few teams came running. And then we, we used the kind of the initial, uh, the early adapters to build a good platform. And then we had enough input to create a platform that was useful for more people. And then kind of the the uh, the bulk of people or the bulk of themes came came into the platform. And then we we managed to build a mature enough thing that everybody, or most teams understood this is better than what we have. And then of course, it's the last part is when we have to, have to kind of force the last few teams that doesn't really have the capabilities or the capacity to do it. And but kind, of, you have to use the early adapters is what the early adapters are good for, and then make that uh, help you to evolve into what what's uh, suitable for most of the teams afterwards. So that's more or less exactly according to plan. Yeah, and, and a lot of what you talked about there was there was an episode that that came out uh, recently with Brian McMillan and he was talking about finding those opportunistic people, identifying them and then leveling them up. You know, he was talking about it on kind of the producer side as well, where the, Mm. those opportunistic people are typically consumers and producers. 
because what they do is they, they want to take in that information and then they go, oh, I found this very interesting insight. So you have somebody that is playing both sides, right? Mm. And that's, you know, within Data Mesh talking about the uh, source aligned or producer aligned data products and the kind of consumer aligned data products, that person can be, you know, can fit into the consumer aligned data products of saying, hey, I created this thing from these three different sources and other people should have access to it. So I think that's, mm. that's also leveling up the team and things like that. So, um, so, I mean, one thing we had talked about as well was I thought you had a really interesting strategy around figuring out what to build for the platform where you, you said what you're doing is you're, you're kind of, and, Correct me if I'm wrong and, and paraphrasing this incorrectly, but um, you're giving the teams the kind of requirements that they need to meet to be able to mm. do this. And, and you're working with them somewhat to help them along that path, but you're also giving them the freedom to make their choices. And then as you see those choices being made, that's where you start to create the tooling to automate what choices they are making rather than making the choices for them and saying, here's the tooling, use the tooling. You're saying, well, how would you do this? How do you do this? Like we're, we want to work with you to enable you to actually make good choices if you're kind of in analysis paralysis, but if you're not, like, how would you do this? And that's uh, the, the, at, in the ThoughtWorks tech radar, I think four or five years ago, it's the first time I saw this phrase of, treating your internal platforms as products and trying to and use the same techniques we use when we make normal software to how to get adoption, how to how to get some users on board and how to figure out what the users need and not build a platform for yourself, but understand that you have users and those are the ones that the company's success hinges on. You should you should do your very best to make them successful because that's that's your role as a platform. And I, I think we've been quite good at actually using many different techniques of getting teams on board and trying to figure out what they do and make sure we don't do this for ourselves. I think also this is an, uh, it touches on an area where Odin and I have had a lot of interesting discussions because I think uh, the problem of um, how do you take data from the inside of some team's context and publish it on the outside? Um, it's it's very how you approach that problem is very dependent on what kind of background you have. Uh, so for for me, from a data engineering background, I would I would think that that what you're doing is trying to design a data pipeline. Uh, but uh, and now I'm gonna try to speak for Uden here. I don't know if I'm right, but I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing that a data pipeline isn't a term that Uden is used to. Uh, it, it's code, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so the this is where like a lot of our discussions have been, right? How would you how would you solve this problem of taking data from your inside your context and publishing it on the outside? And I think uh, a potential pitfall for our platform would be to, especially from the data side go very far in designing uh, the correct way of doing this because there's a risk then of designing something that software engineers wouldn't recognize uh, putting up a lot of tools that are uh, sounds like some kind of data pipeline tools or etl tools or whatever uh, and then ending up designing a regime that doesn't resonate with software engineers 
Uh, how on the other side, of course, there's a lot of issues in designing data pipelines that data engineers have experience in solving that um, you could risk omitting if you just ask software engineers how to do the same thing. So, you know, we have had a lot of interesting discussions about how to how to solve this problem. And we've ended up more or less saying we don't necessarily know the best answer, which again comes back to our approach of asking the teams. We want you to publish data products. Data products look like this. Um, and we're going to observe how you choose to do that. And we're going to try to figure out if we can make it easier for you along the way, but we're not going to tell you the right way of doing that. Yeah, I, I've been seeing some people, especially uh, advocating for application engineers and embedding application engineers into each of the domains so that they don't have to do that, right? That they, they get to skip the, um, how do we make it so that software engineers can understand how to share data and that we don't have to build the tooling to do that. We just stick DBT in front of uh, the application engineer, or sorry, not the application, sorry, the anal- sorry, analytics engineer. That's what I meant. The anal- that they embed analytics engineers to do that so that um, that you, you stick the tooling in front of, uh, you're not sticking DBT or anything in front of a software engineer. You just say, okay, the people who know how to do pipelines are going to work with the the application engineers to say, okay, your schema needs to evolve in what way? Okay, that thing that you're proposing for that schema evolution will cause breakages. So is there another way that we can approach it? Let's look through, you know, three different ways that we might approach it. Oh, okay, this other way that you're looking at, that won't break everything downstream. So let's do it that way, right? Like that, that back and forth, but is that scalable? Can all can all companies and organizations just hire a bunch more more people to, to throw into their domains? I don't think that. Yeah, and and does it even work? Because I kind of we, we tried a little bit of that in some of our teams, and and I think what we ended up seeing in some cases is you have a a, a data engineer or a analytics engineer sitting next to the team, kind of. And working like with access to the team's internal data models and the two team's databases, but the data engineer ends up working from a different Trello board, right? The data engineer works on the data agenda, and the team works on the team's agenda, and they're not really a part of the team. And so, whatever the data engineer builds ends up not being property of the team, but property of that specific data engineer who is, you know, closely related to the team, but not really a part of the team, because they don't work on the same issues yeah and and one that i talked to that was saying that they were they were seeing you know flexport has talked about this and that they're seeing a lot of benefit i think it's that they said we have very very strict um any changes and things like that it's there's a uh, a data review as well that okay when you're doing these things that they it's not just an architecture review it's not just a, a um application review or, or whatever, a quality review that you go through as well, a data review and, and do it that way. But I, I do think that that's a, a pattern where you have to re-architect the way people work and that it's not just moving a data engineer over. It's somebody that is that you're not just sticking, you know, attaching to the team. You have to embed them in the team and that that is a very, very big cultural shift. And so if you can um, do that from a tooling standpoint. Um, I do think we try to solve 
way too many people process issues with tooling. But I think uh, if you can do it with a tooling standpoint, uh, this is something that that would help them. If, if you can make application engineers able to have empathy about what their changes are going to break and, and that they have that knowledge, they just haven't ever had that knowledge, right? They, they have to evolve their application. And so you go to evolve your application and it's going to break something. Either you don't evolve your application or, and you don't break the downstream, but your application, you know, kind of wilts and, and doesn't, doesn't do well. But, but application engineers do have that experience, just call something else, because they do have the experience of having external APIs or something else that they you know have to make sure that doesn't break. So so there is like an awareness of the same problem, kind of kinds of problem, but you have to, um, it called, I think it all comes down to, can we give the teams, can we get the teams to really fully accept the responsibility for creating data products and treat it as a product and treat it in the same way they would treat an external API with external consumers. And one, one important thing then is to make the teams understand why. Why do, why do these people I don't hardly ever talk to need this data in my database? Why is that important? Because uh, a lot of the time when the distance between the team is too big, nobody takes the time to explain the importance of this report, for instance, or the statistics. And then it's basically just uh, a pain for the team. They, they, sometimes they do something and people start yelling on the other office and they have no understanding of why. And if you can make them understand the value of the reports, they will, They will, because I've never met someone that actually wants to break something valuable just for, the re, just for no reason. If you tell them it's important, they'll understand it's important and they'll make the, they'll create the necessary toll gates in their deployment system to make sure they don't break it. And as Jeroen said, uh, this is a problem that the application engineers ha- have had for a long time, and they've been able to uh, make a lot of techniques to kind of reduce this problem. My favorite is basically described in an article by a guy called Pateln. He says yeah. that um, you should uh, there's data on the inside and there's data on the outside, and no one should ever see your data on the inside. That's you, you not not even the uh, not even the data warehouse. You should. Always have an on the outside API of the data you share with other people, because then if you have that separation, you can make the necessary uh, checks in your code base to make sure that this is an API. I'll only break this according to these specific rules, and I'll tell you this many days beforehand and everything. But you you can't do that with your internal data model because that's that's too complicated. You have to make an external data model for that. And then, of course, Jeroen will say, but I need all the data. <laughs> and then, then then we have to go through this discussion. We normally have that. If, if you need all the data, you lose a lot of the robustness in your pipeline. Then then you have to accept changes. Otherwise, yeah. you have to say, I'll, I'll get the outside data, and then these are the rules of change uh, that we agreed upon. Yeah, this is the this is the eternal discussion between Odin and me. I want uh, from the from the data side, I want all the data, and I want all the data to be correct all the time, and I want it to perfectly represent uh, whatever reality I'm trying to model. Uh, but I'm also used to working with, you know, as you pointed out earlier, Scott, exhaust data. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a have to change. Uh, I have to change my mindset a little bit as well when we're <laughs> having these discussions. And, and something uh, that you talked about was um, that 
they just have to put some some gates and things in their tooling. What we haven't seen, at least from most of the people that I've talked to, is that the application engineers actually are able or have been able historically to understand who is consuming and, and why. And so some of that's people process, but a lot of that's even just the tooling, right? Like when, when I look at like data lineage, data lineage doesn't extend into the source system. And so like, you know, people aren't able to then, it, an application engineer can't test easily if their change is going to break that downstream. So they either have to say, I have to adhere to this API that we have set and when I break it, it's going to break things for a lot of people or, you know, and even that is a better solution. But it's it's just something where historically in most organizations, that just hasn't been a, a thing. And, and the number of times when I talk to uh, companies and organizations where the consumers and the producers have literally never spoken. They've only spoken through the data engineering team. They've never been in the same room together. It's like 80% of these large companies. Mm. And then there's then there's not a big surprise that the teams producing the data don't understand uh, why uh, or don't care about it breaking for the consumers because they don't, they've never seen them, they never talked to them. It's not They're not even sure if they exist. And then they're... they're they at least haven't seen the report and understood the value of the report. So it's like a bunch of different important things and one thing they don't understand. And why should they care about that one? They literally can't because if they want to evolve their application, they can't have that empathy of what I'm going to break. And so, Euron, uh, hmm. you were going to make a, a point there? No, I, I was just going to say that um, I don't think we have a perfect solution for this issue either but <laughs> but uh, uh, one thing that we're working on building into our uh, platform is tool is its observability tooling for your data products so we want uh, the teams who who publish data products to be aware of how they're being used and by by whom they're being used um, and so hopefully they can uh, that can maybe evolve their empathy a little bit for their users. Or in some cases, maybe that can show that this data product isn't actually being used by anyone, so it's perfectly fine to break it if that helps mm. you evolve your, your application. Yeah, and, and I think that um, I've talked about this a little bit of, you know, people are using a data product, but they're not using these, these things that you're looking at changing and that, so it's not an actual breaking change, even though you're, you're, you're making a breaking change to the overall data product, but it's not a breaking change to anybody that's consuming it. How, how can we get that information to the producers so they can, and, and early in their testing phase, right? That they can, they can actually pass tests and that it's not like, Hey, is, if we do this, is this going to break anybody? And then you go, okay, I heard silence, so I get to do this. And it's like, mm. oh, no, this thing broke. It's like, well, you didn't say anything. Well, the, the consumers couldn't even really know. You know, they might not have been able to test that themselves or, or they might not, they're consuming from 50 different places. So, um, and one thing that I'm actually hearing as well is once this, once people start to share their um, data products, the first consumers are actually typically other domain teams, other application developers who were stitching together things from the exhaust and saying, 
oh, we were just, uh, you know, stitching things back together based on these like 15 different things that you were emitting, but that wasn't really the real world event. But now you're sharing the real world event. We're going to just consume that. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> it's, mm. it's not even for analytical usage. It's it's that. So, um, so I, I, we've got multiple things that we could we could uh, jump down here. There's a lot of places we could double click into. But one thing I have been talking about um, your uh, cake driven development, which I think yes. is is something that's really like it's it's something I've talked about, especially relative to community building and things like that, that it's, it's, it sounds silly. These types of things always sound silly, but they're incredibly powerful because they actually drive a sense of community and togetherness and things like that. You know, uh, there's a community out there for putting data on Kubernetes and they do a bunch of like wraps like they rap about putting data on Kubernetes. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But at the same point, it, it's something that's very fun and, and creates that. So um, if you could if you could explain cake-driven development and uh, or, or deployment or whatever you want to call it and, and where that came from and maybe what you've seen as a result of it. Sure. So this is a... Uh... This is a concept that I think Odun, uh, or at least uh, someone around Odun came up with, probably Odun came up with this uh, back <laughs> when we were building the, the NICE platform, the application platform, uh, which was rewarding teams who migrated their applications to the platform with cake. Uh, simple like that. Everyone likes cake. Uh, uh, all teams Everyone have... except one. There's one yeah, except... guy at now that doesn't like cake, and I don't trust yeah. him. No, exactly. You can't trust someone who doesn't like cake. So, so, so uh, simple as that. All teams have some uh, some say in how they prioritize their time and and what they do. No matter what they tell you, they have some say in how they prioritize what they do. And if you offer them a simple incentive, uh, migrate your application to our platform, and you will get cake. Um, they might choose to do that. And so, what what. Uh, the the platform team did way back when a few years ago when they were building the application platform was offering cake to teams who migrated to the platform and then taking a picture of those teams eating cake posting those pictures on the internal slack and then just getting marketing for using the platform see what happens if you use the platform you get cake so back in i think november uh, when we launched our data platform uh Udun and i uh, made the same offer to all the teams that are already using the application platform. We say, hey, we have this data platform now. We want you guys to start uh, emitting data products on the platform. And anyone who does so uh, in the next couple of months, cake. <laughs> and then we've been uh, having some uh, pandemic-related cake implementation trouble. Uh, <laughs> but mostly we managed to overcome those. So uh, we have a... And we right now we have a small backlog of cakes that we need to to implement. Uh, but uh, other than that, it's been working really. I great. think we're getting close to ten cakes now for data products. Yes, uh, and that's for like seventy or eighty teams. So I think we're we we have more data products now because of cake. Uh, I'm quite certain of that at least. And some of those data products are really interesting too. So and that's kind <laughs> of the. We wanted to seed the platform with data products. And, and of course, we know some data products are going to be more interesting and more useful than others. Uh, but first of all, we just want some quantity and then we can start focusing on quality. Yeah, well, and I think you, you talked about the internal marketing of uh, for 
using the data platform. But I think it's the other side as well of those teams that are on the leading edge, especially, I, I don't know how internal transfers and things like that work at, mm. at, at NAV, but it, it can be one of those things of, hey, this is the team that's on the cutting edge. Here's the one that you want to go work for. Here's the, mm. you know, you can, you can pitch it with that as well of, um, here are, or here are people doing the right thing. And we want to make sure that they're, um, that they're, they've got that visibility. And so, um, if this is a strategic initiative for a lot of, uh, people higher up, then you can start to say, Hey, we've, we're showing you who are the teams that are the leaders out here. We're they're They're showing that they're the first ones and that, you know, um, I don't know that you want to make it a competition. So that way somebody puts out just a terrible data product, you know, and just stamps it. And the, and the data product literally just emits the word first. right? <laughs> uh, for, for sure. We, uh, the teams that have, uh, that have started producing the data products, of course, we, as, as, as the platform, we are learning a lot about what the platform needs to be from those first data products that have, have been uh, have been published. But also, those teams uh, are definitely getting internal visibility uh, because of, of what they've done. We've invited them on various uh, meeting meeting uh, arenas internally to talk about how they created their data products. And uh, so there's been kind of a uh, fairly successful internal marketing campaign around uh, the first data products that have been produced in addition to the cake marketing, which is also always funny. This in kind of increased the ownership because uh, culturally we've been kind of being, we've, built, we've been growing a lot and have, getting a lot of tension on the application or the operational side. And now we kind of try to introduce the analytical side and the data people into the fold. And I've seen, they kind of, it feels like they've, They've also taken more ownership onto the platform, and I've seen some on the internal Slack channel. I've seen some really good discussions I've never seen before about how should we share data, what should the structure be, what does a good data product look like. And I think when when the different people making data products have a place to have those discussions, I think that's there's a, lots of good for the quality, and I think it it helps us evolve and figure out what what should we do to make this platform even better. And, and importantly, uh, some of those people who are now involved in these discussions are software engineers, whereas these discussions used to be purely between data engineers before. It's basically like the uh, plural way of me and Jeroen talking about stuff all night in uh, the closed Slack channel. It's like <laughs> ten, 10 people instead from different backgrounds. Well, and I, and I think it's kind of funny in a way so there there's the internal marketing for using the platform but i think it's and it's internal marketing for the teams but i think it's also a concept that can help for internal marketing of the data product itself right where where you say hey here's the cake and here's the video of them introducing their data product right or here's the so mm. uh, here's what they released and so that you can get that in front of more potential consumers who might not have have thought Oh, I want to go look and see is does this data exist, right? Like this is a, a a concept that I'm running across a lot where there are very few companies that have really figured out how to talk about this stuff internally, right? Like of how to roll out new changes, especially like additions. You know, you're talking about a, a data product and it's evolving and you're going to have 
you know, these three new columns and you think that these three new columns could be really useful, how do you find the people that should be going out there and using them? Like those conversations are just beginning. And so Mm. I think, I think what you're doing raises that visibility, but it also kind of makes it just fun and not like, this is a responsibility. It makes it that people feel like they're participating in something that's bigger than them. And mm. so it, 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 as silly as it kind of feels at first, it's not at all. It actually has a lot of like psychological benefits to it. So, um, and, and everyone I've talked to is like, no, that's awesome. I, we need to start doing that. <laughs> We we also do we also do stickers uh, for for so if you know if you make a data product on the platform you get a sticker to put on your laptop and we have we do have a strong sticker culture in. Uh, in <laughs> but but it's all it's also good for the platform because when you have uh, eager users and users with ownership they do a lot of support for you uh, because so when someone asks well how do I do this with Nada how do I do that and then you have users already solved that problem. And instead of the platform people having to do support, you can have other users telling new users what they've learned. And then you build even more community because people like to help people and they, and they like to, they like to be helpful. So I think it's, um, it's basically all good to try to build a community around the platform and make the users feel like they're part of it. And again, we're kind of, uh, trying to copy a concept from the application platform and, and use the same concept in the data platform. Because in our mature application platform, uh, I would say more than half of the support questions are answered by the community and not the platform people. And we're kind of slowly starting to see the same phenomena uh, around the data platform and the tooling for the data platform. Yeah, I think like uh, the Salesforce community is, is one that's been really famous for having that kind of thing where like, Ninety-nine percent of the questions are answered by the uh, the general community, and they're just kind of all helping each other out. So if you can get that, I, I'd love for the data mesh community to get there. But I think that's 10, 12 years down the road because there's so many little subtopics and things within. So, um, so I mean, we we're we're coming up here uh, on an hour. This has been phenomenal. I, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Covered a whole lot of ground, but. Um, one question that I would like to, to wrap up with is we've talked through a lot of this stuff. If somebody is kind of early in their journey or starting on their journey, what what advice would you give them? Like, what would you specifically circle that we talked about? You know, cake, yes, but <laughs> anything else that you would talk about that that would be um, advice and whether that's things to do or things to make sure you avoid or or anything like that i think it's one thing is to try to find a good starting point try to find the compelling data product that people that many people actually need and maybe that's not kind of part of the formal structure but that's useful for many teams and then to try to put the responsibility of creating that data product into a team that has that kind of specially designed to be both software people and uh, analytic or data engineers working in the same team as the application where the data comes from. So you can kind of, you can try to get the, take some of the cultural issues uh, right away and try to get the people to understand what an analytical mindset means and uh, the analytical people to understand what a, continuous delivery means, for instance. So you kind of 
you try to get the both of, best of both worlds. I think is a good starting point. Yeah, I think I think my advice would would be in the similar line. Like it's, I think the most important thing for us has been and continues to be uh, the empathy, as you talked about, Scott, for the application developers, trying to get the application developers involved in this in a in a in a real way, uh, and don't like not avoid avoiding ending up with. As I said, the data engineers adjacent to the application developers um, working on a different agenda to create data products, but really trying to have the, the teams feel ownership uh, to the data products that they they uh, publish. And it's, it's funny how often uh, every single one of these conversations of people who are uh, somewhat down the, the path of, of data mesh pretty much every bit of advice is people process side, right? Like there, there's the tooling stuff, but the tooling, if you get the people process side, if you get people working together and in the right mindset, the, the tooling can come from that. You know, there's, there's additional tricks there, but I think we mentioned uh, one tool, no, two tools on your side. I think you mentioned BigQuery and Kafka. And we talked for an hour about people who are building the platform. Right. Like this self-serve platform. Isn't it all about the tooling? Isn't it all about? No, like this stuff is about working with people to make their lives easier. It's about that, that reducing that friction, that toil and, and just making things better. So I, I loved I loved your answers. And, and I really I am recommending the cake thing everywhere. Like, <laughs> um, I, I haven't. But not placed. every day. Not every day because that's too much cake for people. You, you should, if you might, you might have a problem down the line if you give people too much cake. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think in, in the uh, in certain cases that would also uh, lead to uh, health insurance, or at least in the United States, <laughs> health insurance companies might come after you for trying to do that. As well. Let me just let me just add something to what you just said, Scott, the, about the tooling. Like we haven't really built a lot of tooling so far that's kind of been a point for us as well like we we don't want to run ahead with the tooling uh, before we have the maturity uh, around the community and like the, as you said the people and the processes so it's kind of been important for us as well to not run too fast with the tooling so i think it's a it's a very good point what you said like the, it's not about the tooling at all and it's maybe that's may even be a trap to fall into to to run too too fast with the tooling and, and, and as a data person, Grant, is is that something where where you're it's it's painful to to say that out loud? Or is that... I, I think as a data person who has kind of pivoted into product, uh, it feels very right. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> it's not it's not my data background speaking. So, Odin, you you wanted to make a point there. I, I just wanted to. Uh, I, I like this quote about the people that. Uh, programming is really hard, but it's also by far the easiest part of software development. Yeah. Uh, because mostly it's about the people or the culture or the organization. The programming part is always the easiest bit. Fully agree. Okay. Well, this has been so, so helpful and awesome. And, and um, where can people find you? Should I just drop uh, your LinkedIn in the in the show notes or are you big on Twitter or what, where, where do you want people... What, what do you want people potentially following up with you about? Like if, if they've got questions or if they've got answers, what, what do you want people following up with you about and where? <laughs> uh, first of all, I think they could visit uh, almost everything we've done is open source. 
it's on nice.io and nav ikt on github so i think if you want to look at the code and the examples that's where to go uh i could probably you could always look at me on twitter i'm odun strand at twitter which is probably kind of translates bad but someone will probably write it down somewhere i'll drop uh, the links in the show notes yeah. I, I always do just so that it's easier yeah, uh, and I'm reachable on on Twitter as well. I'm Gorsan on Twitter and uh, and on LinkedIn. And so so either either is fine for me. And as Odin said, uh, everything we've done is, or mostly everything we've done, everything that can be is is open source. And feel free to have a look, uh, and and feel free to reach out if you have any comments or ideas or, you know. Uh, solutions to any of the problems we've talked about. We would love to hear that as well. Or if you want to move to Norway and work to create the best welfare state in the world, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> we're always uh, we're always hiring. <laughs> if, if somebody doesn't speak Norwegian, is that is that uh, that's no um, problem? The, yeah, the, we have. We'll make him learn. <laughs> most most it, of the code we write. <laughs> and, and most of the code we write is in English, with a few exceptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you did uh, use your well, although nada is is Spanish, but uh, you did use your your yeah. application platform pun is uh, in English <laughs> as well. So. Yes, this has been so so awesome. Thank you guys for for taking the time, and thanks everyone for listening. I would again like to thank my guests today, Odin Fachald Strand and Joran Berenson from Nav. You want to find more information about them or how you can contact them or uh, a link to some more information about the nice platform that they talked about. You can find that as always in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please as well, if you're got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm -hmm.